Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Church of Christ in them was, in, or the Spirit of Christ was indicating in them when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in things that they have that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things to which the angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Thanks for having, thanks for that introduction. Don't call me a hero. That's kind of crazy, man. Like, uh, I only want to be my kid's hero. You know what I'm saying? Uh, my kids are, I'll show you a picture of my family. My, my, uh, my kids are actually older now, probably some of your age. I have a Almost 21-year-old. I think I have a picture, guys, on, on there. We'll see. I have almost 21-year-old who's in college. She'll be a junior this year. That's the blonde, uh, the blonde on the right. Uh, the blonde on the left, my wife, been married 26 years. She's a true talent of the family. She, she played soccer at UNC Chapel Hill and won multiple national titles. And so she's got the, the high level, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and then my, my daughter on the right, uh, she's going to be 19 this year. She's, she's heading off to college, too. And then Tom, Tom, Tommy Reed, that's my little dude. He's this tall and almost 16. And so they say greetings to anybody I meet. They uh, graciously allowed me to be with you today. As Fletcher mentioned, I do serve the Harbor Network. I'm involved in developing residency strategies. So if any of you are in the medical profession or pharmacology or something like that or are familiar with residency and training, I help design that to train the next generation of church planters uh, with the Harbor Network. I'm not from Jersey. I was grafted in, lived there about a decade. I loved every minute of it. I go back to Jersey every year uh, when I'm invited. And last time I was there, I was speaking to the Rutgers football team, and it was awesome. So thank you for having me. Uh, today we're in a short passage in the book of First Peter. Um, and the title of my message is simple. Inquiring angels want to know. Inquiring angels want to know. But I want to say this at the beginning. This sermon is not about angels. But since we're talking about them, we might as well talk about them a little bit. And so uh, these, if, you're, if you're familiar with uh, pop cultural angels, it's quite interesting because many people in life talk about them often. Some were touched by them. Uh, apparently there were some angels in the outfield. Uh, apparently some in the end zone as well. Uh, not at the Red Sox game on Friday night there weren't. There were some Blue Jays, no angels. Uh, and there were some were also in the infield. Of course, when, when I make sequels, some were on highways to heaven. Charlie had some angels. Apparently every two decades, Charlie's got to have some angels. Apparently some were named Clarence. My mother taught me every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. There was a city of them that only Nicolas Cage fans know about. There's legions of them apparently fighting all the time. Angels are everywhere. In fact, they're very prominent. Certain flavors of spirituality are obsessed with angels. Apparently some move people in on September 1st. Uh, some artwork has little fat babies with wings. I don't know where that comes from. Those, those are angels. They're very prominent in major world religions. Various flavors of Islam focus on angels. They have a prominent role in the Bible. But today, this message is not about Angels. Oh, you want to hear a cool verse about angels? <laughs> Hebrews 13, uh, 1 and 2. This is an interesting passage. 
says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Did you realize you might have had a party someday, and you might have had some angels roll in? Think about that. Angels were at my party. It's a pretty good party, right? Entertaining angels. But I want to ask this as we begin this morning. Has anyone ever asked angels what they care about? What are their interests? Angel people, right? What are your interests, right? Do, you, do we care what they think about or what they want to know? Well, today we're not going to talk about angels per se, but we are going to talk about that which they long to look into. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be together to come in a place uh, where we can gather together with one voice to lift you up and to receive from you. I pray now that whatever you would have for us today that you would give graciously uh, because you give to all without finding fault. You're generous to us. And so I pray that any word of encouragement, uh, a word of exhortation, uh, a spiritual gift of sustenance for our souls that you might give to us today. And Lord, you might show us something wonderful about who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. The three verses we're in today were read, and obviously it's not a long passage, but it is coming in the middle of 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, I do know during the pandemic, two years ago, you were in the book of 1 Peter as a church. But I know two years is also a long time, particularly in Boston years, um, and certainly pandemic years. That's a long time ago. I actually listened to some of Fletcher's preaching on this, and he did a good job, brother. Um, but just for those who might be a little unfamiliar with this book or new to the Bible, uh, I grew up with an atheist father. Uh, I became a Christian at University of North Carolina while studying physics and on a wrestling scholarship, right? Didn't play basketball there. They liked that there. I was a, one of the short, uh, short, short square guys. And, and I was new to the Bible, man. And so if you're, if you're here today, you're a little new to the Bible, I, I know what it feels like. So I'm going to just give us a little context as we jump right into these three verses. The book of 1 Peter begins with this very interesting uh, identification of God's people. He calls them elect or chosen exiles. That's a very interesting coupling of language, right? Chosen by God, but yet in the world feeling like outcasts. And there's a real, I certainly felt this. Uh, when I began following Jesus, my father said, what have you become an imbecile? What are you, one of those religious people now? What are, what are you, trading in your IQ for uh, nonsense of religion? And the people receiving the letter of 1 Peter, and they were in what's modern-day Turkey today, Asia Minor in the ancient world, uh, these people would have faced similar circumstances. They were, they were chosen by God, but was affecting their stature or their standing or their privilege or their lack thereof in culture. And so Peter wants to tell them, hey, God has done something wonderful for you. And even though it might get hot for you at times or difficult because you're a follower of Christ, he wants them to know that they are honored and blessed and wants them to be deeply encouraged by God. 
Now, the passage we're in today begins with this phrase, concerning this salvation. Concerning this salvation. Well, what salvation? 1 Peter 1 begins by saying God's great mercy, right? We sang about it this morning. God's great mercy has made his people alive, born anew into a living faith. Through Jesus' resurrection, as he was raised from the dead, we too have a new life. And we have an inheritance coming, right? Everyone who belongs to Christ has an inheritance that's been kept by God for us. Nobody can take it from us. This salvation God initiates. He also guards it, this salvation. That we are being guarded by God's power through faith until the end of all time. Either the end of our life or to the end of this age, God is guarding us. And we have this great thing called hope that pulls us, pulls us into the future. Gets us up each day. Keeps us and guards us in the love of God. So God initiates this salvation. He guards it and then he completes it. The promise is faith someday will be fullness of sight and we will receive the outcome of our trust in Christ, the salvation of our lives. Concerning this salvation, verse 10 says, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. Now, this word prophets. Man, when I started reading the Bible, I was 20 years old. I had no clue. I was sitting in the, the, the um, women's basketball locker room at UNC Chapel Hill with a guy. Anybody follow college basketball in here? Okay, a few. Man named Hubert Davis is currently the head coach at UNC Chapel Hill. They went all the way to the Final Four. We beat Coach K in his final games. If any Duke people here, we love doing that for you. But th this, this man named Hubert Davis, the head coach now, he was sitting across from me as a senior. I'm the very young man, knew the Bible, and he put his arm around me. He goes, I'm going to help you out, dog, because you don't have a clue what's in this book. He was like, I don't know anything. And he would say, turn, turn to 1 Corinthians. I'm like, I don't know where that is. And people would help me, these kind people who grew up you know, going to church camp and stuff, helped me, right? So I realized when I say the word prophets, what is that? What is that? You see, in the beautiful tradition of the scriptures, God would speak to people whom he called to speak to his people called prophets. These people prophesied about something coming, a grace that was to come from God to the people. And, and the Bible says here they were inquiring, straining to see, straining to see the person who is coming, the time, when will they come, when they were predicting something about Jesus who would come to the earth to suffer, rise from the dead, suffering and glory coming. The prophets were inquiring about this that they did not see fully. They only saw a little part of the picture. They didn't see it in fullness and clarity yet because it was yet to come in human history. Now, some of you are not old enough to remember this. And I say that because I'm looking at you. Uh, I have a degree in applied computer science and physics. That's my undergraduate studies, okay? And so I was really into, you know, the internet hit big when I was in college. And we had these things called dial-up modems. Anybody familiar with this? Okay, right? You had to call some service, like CompuServe, AOL or something. You had some number. It would dial, and all of a sudden you'd hear this, what, you know, the, in, in technology, right, it's making a handshake. Who are you? I can talk to you. We can talk. Oh, we can send some emails now, right? That's what's happening. 
It was very, very slow. In fact, technologists invented this thing called progressive JPEG rendering, okay, to help us out. So a whole web page could load all at once. You're like, oh, I can read it. But you couldn't see the pictures. It kind of looked something like this. You would see this muddy, unclear thing, but you could read about it. And then all of a sudden, progressively, as your little 56K download starts coming in, right, you would see the picture in all its fullness and glory. And I like to think of the prophets in, say, the Old Testament uh, as straining to see. They don't see it clearly, but that picture is coming. It's known by God, but it's yet not in its fullness. And here's what we see in the Bible. One of my professors years ago was discussing this, and I kind of created this little bullseye graphic that talks about the purpose and plan of God in history that came through the prophets about Jesus himself. Who is this person in the time that he is coming? That he would be born of a woman, Genesis 3 says, part of the human race, one of us. That God would become one of us from the seed of Abraham, a certain people of a certain tribe, the tribe of Judah, part of a certain dynasty to sit on the throne of David. The manner of his birth, born of a virgin, the, the birthplace of the Messiah, Bethlehem, and then when he would die was predicted in the Bible, and even more so, the manner in which he would die, that he'd be crushed and pierced for our transgressions, predicted before crucifixion was invented. You see, the zip code of the person in time was being dialed in. The prophets didn't see it clearly, but they spoke, they inquired, and they wanted to say something to us. New Testament scholar Karen Jobes uh, says this, the knowledge imparted by forewitness of the prophets is now being preached by the Christian evangelists as having been historically realized in the life of Jesus. Therefore, Peter views the gospel of Jesus Christ as one with the message of the Old Testament. You see, the spirit in the prophets was saying something about what God was doing. This was predicted. This was the plan of God. This was his purpose. The cross of Christ, his sufferings and the glories of his death and resurrection were to come to pass. The Gospel of John, one of the summaries and teachings on the life of Jesus, says this. Isaiah said these things before because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Or in John 17, when Jesus himself was praying for his friends, when he was about to go to the cross, he said this. This is John 17, 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes up to the heavens and said, Father, the hour has come, right? It's go time. The hour has come. Glorify the Son that the Son might glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you have given to him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the one true God and Jesus whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before the world began. You see, the prophets looking into what was coming to see Jesus, they saw subsequent sufferings and glory together. This is a very, very difficult thing for us as human beings, to see suffering and glory as somehow being together. 
We see these constantly in the life of Jesus. He sacrificially loved people. If you sacrificially love anybody, you will suffer. And Jesus suffered for others, extending himself on the earth and ultimately extending himself on the cross for us. In fact, not only are these two things, suffering and glory, linked in the life of Christ, they're linked in the life of his people. Years ago, this, I, I, this is just some random deal, man. Years ago, I was in like a, a store. I forget which store, but I walked past this thing hanging there. It would look like ropes intertwined of like an ivory color and a red color. And it turns out it was a dog chew toy. I don't have a dog. Uh, we don't own dogs. So I didn't know what it was, but I bought it because it just, I just saw it, bought this dog chew toy, and I put it and I hung it on the mirror in my car. I, no, I'm not kidding. And later, I got a ticket from a cop in Jersey because he said, uh, your, your thing is obstructing your view. I was like, no, it's not. I can see fine. He goes, here's a ticket. I'm like, you're obstructing my view. You know, what in the world? And my kid said, Dad, what is that? And why did you buy it? I was like, it is the spiral of these two things that are interconnected. They can't be separated. And they remind me of the suffering and glory that come in our own lives. And I want to use that to pray. A dog chewed away that dumb, but amen. Praise the Lord. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I want you to hear this morning from me. Suffering and glory are not opposites. But they're partners in the work of God. Yesterday, I was working with some of the leaders of the church, and we were just kind of doing a little goofy exercise to share our stories. And one of the things we called out was the things that made a huge difference in our lives. And you had to mark some of them with a certain color that were difficult times. And you know, if you look back on your own story, how much the difficult times God speaks to us, he changes directions in us. He gets our attention. And then every one of these guys also had this, I call it the glory column, where, where, where there was a season in their life where everything seemed good and direction was clear. And really the trajectory of, of life was established. We have to realize that we need to see the difficulties of life and the glories of life as both being ordained, superintended by our loving Father for our good. This is why Peter in 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9, right before our passage says, though you not see him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. That's when you want to shout right in church, filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. See, the beauty of the gospel is that it connects all of life. It connects all of history from the prophets into the time of Jesus into our lives now. Connecting history, all the suffering, all the glory in the purposes and work of Jesus, the Messiah, King. Now, secondly, what, what are these Old Testament prophets, what were they doing? What were they doing when they were speaking about the coming of Jesus? Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. They were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced, uh, now been preached through those who preach good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. These prophets were announcing 
pointing forwards. They were serving others. Listen to this. That they would never meet. They would never know. Think about this. The people receiving 1 Peter were people in ancient Asia Minor. Think about this for a second. I, I'm, a, I'm a descendant of Irish immigrants. They had to leave their homeland because they were being starved out and they came here. Prophets were serving knuckleheads like me. Prophets were serving those that they were never known. Men and women faith of the African diaspora worldwide, they were serving them. Chinese underground churches today, they were serving them. People here in the Boston metro area now, the prophets were serving them. A college student, 20 years old, lost, believing only in himself, thinking he was all that, not knowing any of all that God would see fit to save. The prophets were serving, not themselves. Is this not our tradition? And if I could be so bold to say, there are some in the enterprises of religion who do serve themselves. Maybe they serve for the sake of money. Maybe they serve so they can be some big religious figure in the world. But that is not the tradition of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's very clear, another passage in the Bible, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. But Jesus Christ as Lord, and listen to this, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Let me just say this. If someone is saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, and they don't see themselves as proclaiming Christ as Lord, the one who's in charge, not themselves, and themselves as servants of others, that is not the tradition of the prophets. That's not the tradition of the Messiah. That is not our team. One of the things that some of us realize quickly that when you follow Jesus Christ, you get associated with all sorts of things. Some of those things have little to do with Jesus, his character, his message, and who he was. That's just part of it for us. My father had all this kind of ideas about what religion was and who Jesus was, and all of a sudden I say, I'm a Christian. Boom, he throws all this stuff on me. Wasn't honoring me was dishonoring to me. But here's the thing. God wants his people to know the things that we have honor us and they align with who Jesus is and we are part of this tradition that serve Christ as Lord and are servants of others. Show up on move-in day. Help somebody in Jesus' name. This is in Luke chapter 10 where Luke told some of his friends, his crew, men and women who were rolling with him, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and many kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you hear and did not hear it. We have more than prophets and kings because we have the good news of Jesus of Nazareth. Now what about those angels? Right? The angels that abandoned the outfield this week. My son's texting me where I, where I was at the baseball game. He's like, Dad, it's 28 to 5. <laughs> at least you get to see the ball get hit a lot. 
what do angels care about? Verse 12 has this little odd phrase right at the end of this passage. Things into which angels long to look. Now, my wife grew up in church, okay? Uh, her, her dad, like, um, directed the singing. Her mom, like, played, played, like, piano and keyboard. I don't know if, he could, if she could do it like we saw it done today. But that was her upbringing, Right? And so she, has, she knows all these little religious songs. Sometimes she'll be singing them, and I'm like, I don't, know, I don't know what that song is. What are you talking about, right? I remember going to her to this thing uh, when we were in college where they were sharing the gospel in a big field, and, and all these people started, like, going forward, and they played this same song, like, 478,000 times in a row. And I looked at my wife, and I, I just wasn't clued in on the culture of the whole thing. And I looked at my wife, and I said, uh, why do they keep singing this song? She goes, see those people, they're, they're getting saved. They're giving life to Jesus. And I was like, sing it again, right? She grew up really different than me. And she told me about like this discussion sometimes she would have as a kid, like with her brother or kids at youth camp or whatever. She's like, who had it better? Would it have been better to like roll with Jesus on the earth? Wouldn't it be better to live at that time? And I was like, well, you know, dysentery was probably pretty bad. But, you know, like, I don't know, maybe we got better nutrition at times, you know. <laughs> or, or would it have been better to live as one of the old time prophets in the Old Testament? Or would it have been better to be in the first century church, but a lot of the Bible is written to? Would it have been better? Here's the thing our passage tells us today. Look, you can't determine your time and place where you live. God does that. You don't determine when you're born, where you flow out in the world, how you get to where. That's kind of given to us. The beauty is Peter wants his hearers to know something, to be encouraged by something. Don't long to be with the prophets and kings. Don't long to even be with the angels of heaven. You have everything in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, theologian and New Testament scholar Karen Joe says, Peter shows his readers who were suffering a loss of status in their society because of Christ, that they were in fact more privileged in the perspective of redemptive history than they could have known, more privileged than either the great prophets of old or the angels above. There's this passage in the Bible it kind of, kind of is designed to blow our heads up. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. It says, amongst the mature, we do impart wisdom, although wisdom not of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom from God, which God decreed before, our, before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written... Some of you may have heard this passage, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, a lot of times I see this passage used by saying, hey, look, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. You can't even imagine what's coming in the kingdom of heaven. You can't even imagine what God has prepared for all his people. You can't imagine. It'll blow your head up. But here's the thing. The very next verse the very next verse, listen to this. No eye, no ear, you can't imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us 
by the Spirit. These things that prophets strained and inquired to know, these things that, that the angels, right, peered over the balconies of heaven trying to inquire into. They, they saw the trailer and wanted to know more, right? These things we have. The Bible says we have these treasures in jars of clay, earthen vessels, physical bodies to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That's why First Peter begins with blessed be God, right? Praise be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of the dead, to an inheritance, right? Unimaginable, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. God has done all of this for his people. It was planned before the creation of the world, predicted by prophets, called into the being by the incarnation, the Son of God stepping on to planet Earth. His death and resurrection to pay for our sins and to give us new life and to have that gospel preached in every tribe, people, and language in the world until kingdom come is our inheritance. It has been done for you. One of, the, one of the most terrible mistakes of religion is to say, I gotta do something. I, got, I gotta do better in life. It, certainly if there was a God, even when I, you know, growing up didn't really believe in God, I was like, man, if there's a God, I'm probably in trouble. Like, like I, I don't know about everything I do. Maybe you have a pristine conscience and you're better than everyone in the world and you know that. Or maybe you're like me, you're like, oh, maybe I need to be forgiven. Maybe I need a little change. And one of the mistakes of religion is to say, I got to clean it up. I got to do it right. I got to make myself acceptable to God. And then maybe I'll show up at a church uh, so I don't burn the whole place down. Such a mistake. This has been done for you. You receive it. It's not about what you did. It's not because you're better than others or that you're worse. It's because God is gracious, kind, and loving to what he's made, and he wants to forgive us. Not to overlook our injustice, not to overlook our sins, but to pay for them. Give us a new perspective and send us on a new path. Jesus' mission, you know, sometimes we can overcomplicate it, right? If you read the Gospels, there's several times where Jesus talks about himself and he uses like a name for himself. It's like this. If I were to come up to you and say, hey, uh, I'm Reed. I came here to Boston to eat chicken wings. Right? Like, who talks about yourself that way? Nobody talks about yourself in the third person unless you're arrogant, obnoxious, right? Here, here's what Reed thinks. Who talks that way? Well, there were several times that Jesus talks about himself this way. And it's not arrogant. It's not obnoxious. You know why? Because he's defining clearly for us what he came to do in his anointed and position chosen by God. He says this, the son of man, talking about himself, right? The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus said he came to love and to serve. Very simple, right? On another occasion, after he kind of forgives a con man, right? I know we make up little... Uh, church things about Zacchaeus or whatever, but he's a con man. He's ripping his own people off. He's putting up flat screen TVs in his MTV Cribs house, and he's, he's feeling good about himself, taking everybody's money, right? And God comes and forgives him. And he starts giving back 
what he's stolen from people, making restoration to others. And Jesus said, this is the reason I came, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to love and to serve. Jesus came to seek and to save. This is his mission. This is our purpose. This is what we get to do. If it's not him as Lord and us as servants for his sake, loving and serving others as he uses us to seek and to save that which was lost, people like me weren't looking for God, but God was looking for me through the gospel. These things we have in Christ. Now, what should we say to all this? I found, this is interesting, neuroscientists have been studying this recently, that there's a certain effect on the brain of a certain thought when you think it that literally makes everything better, okay? And you might think, tell yourself I'm good enough and smart enough and people like me and it'll be better. That's not what it is. They've proven that every, your physical health, your mental health, your leadership ability gets better when the mind contemplates this one thing. You know what it is? Gratitude, thankfulness. I don't think that's any sort of coincidence. I think when a human being is thankful, it becomes an engine that drives all of life. You want to be like a, a, a crusty, cynical person who has no gratitude? One, people don't want to hang with you. I'm just telling you, if you're that way, maybe be a little more thankful in life, right? If you have gratitude, appreciation for, for your life, gratitude, it will drive everything in your story. Gratitude will drive our obedience to God in a certain way. Gratitude drives our service to others. Gratitude allows us to suffer for the sake of others and for the sake of Christ. Gratitude brings humility to life, where we don't put us on the top of things but God. And gratitude keeps us focused on what God would actually have us to do in this world, rather than the squabbles of the rulers of this world and the particulars of religious infighting. We say thank you to Jesus and we walk in love and serve others in his name. You keep it that simple, angels long to know. Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you that your kindness, the creator of all things, space, time, matter, and energy, and everything there is, not just made this world, but entered into it to show us your character, to show us your mercy, to show us your kindness, and to extend to us forgiveness, mercy, and grace. But not just to, to extend it, but to pay the price. What we deserve, Jesus took upon himself so that we could have a clean slate before our Father. We could be forgiven forever and have a different destiny and have a different purpose for our life here under the sun. That on this earth, we don't float meaninglessly from birth to death, but we're going to a kingdom that's full of love and light, that's much different than the broken realities we travel in today. Father, make your church agents of this mission, a beautiful expression of love, forgiveness, mercy in this world that we might love and to serve our neighbors as you use us to seek and to save that which is lost. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.